Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And I'm Stephen Graves. And this is GM from Decrypt. All right, GM, GM, announcing a new era today for the GM podcast. Pretty exciting. We're going to be bringing on two new recurring co-hosts. Every episode joining me will be either Stephen Graves or Stacey Elliott. And today we've got Stacey Elliott. Stacey, great first episode for you here coming in with Senator Cynthia Lummis joining us. Yeah. You know, she's been the Bitcoin senator straight from Wyoming. Uh, where apparently they've been doing a lot of mining too, not just DAOs out there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it has been called the DAO state, but it's more than just DAOs. Of course, this is the reason that we had a decrypt uh, conference in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, just this past March. And we recently had Caitlin Long on the pod. We were focusing on DAOs with her. But in Cynthia Lemus's case, we've got uh, Bitcoin and we've seen her talk about taxes and what should change there. I mean, she is pretty rah-rah crypto, which... Hard to find those folks in D.C. Yeah, I also want to make sure we talk to her about her bipartisan bill she just introduced. This is supposed to be a big, comprehensive package on crypto. And, you know, it's gotten some mixed reviews, uh, particularly from Gary Gensler. So I definitely want to ask her about that. Awesome. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. Uh, (laughs) We had Andrew Yang on the pod a while back, but the difference, of course, he is not in office. And while he's done a lot of interesting things with crypto, he has had some uh, trouble with the elected office part of it. Cynthia Lummis is a sitting senator and she's in there in the mix talking to uh, people, you know, every day about what kind of legislation they should do. She's fighting on behalf of crypto people. Great opportunity to get someone in DC. And of course, I'll push her on how can you get more crypto advocates there? Because mostly what we hear is, uh, is negativity on crypto out of Washington. Yeah. All right. Well, let's bring her on. Let's do it. All right, Senator Cynthia Lummis, GM, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dan. Good to be with you. Coming at us live from Wyoming. Let's start this way as we record this. Crypto markets are struggling mightily. It's been uh, quite a few weeks for prices. Of course, there's a lot going on when it comes to crypto besides just the markets, but that's uh, what tends to lead the industry. That's what everyone talks about. What do you make of the pullback right now? And what would you say to the people? And of course, you know we're in the media, so we watch this closely. There are many of them out there pointing to this crypto crash and saying, see, see, now it's done. And, you know, crypto was too volatile. And it really gives gives a chance to the uh, the people who already don't believe in crypto to, to say, see, it hasn't worked. Yeah, I uh, couldn't disagree more. I think the digital asset market is here to stay. I think it's going to be very robust, as is typical with new innovations. They go through periods that are disruptive We're in one of those periods right now. I have every confidence that uh, Bitcoin will bounce back, that Ethereum will bounce back from some of these price lows that they are experiencing right now. 
Uh, I suspect that there is some fallout from some of the business entities, such as lenders, who probably had to access some of the collateral and sell it off in order to meet other demands. And so that would affect price when a significant player or players in the industry has to have a liquidity event. So uh, not to worry, this industry is going to be robust in the future. But I do think it will be aided by a regulatory framework that makes some of the issues that were experienced recently difficult to replicate. For example, a algorithmic stablecoin that is not asset-backed could not exist under the Lemus-Gillibrand regulatory regime. There would be two ways to have a stablecoin, one that is issued by a financial institution that is insured by the FDIC, and another that was consistently backed by hard assets that are dollar-denominated. So if you're going to have a a dollar stablecoin, it would have to be fully asset-backed. So we think that some of the provisions in our bill actually will assist in stabilizing the stablecoin market. Uh, Senator, I wanted to ask, we have been through a few cycles now since you've been in the Senate, since you've come out as having been, you know, the crypto senator. (laughs) Does a downturn in the market make it more difficult to deal with your colleagues who aren't really believers, who are not fans of crypto? It does, but we're in this for the, the long game. In some ways, people pay more attention to the digital asset market during times like this. They want to understand what is happening to the markets, and they want to know if we think our legislation could assist in providing a regulatory framework that has a stabilizing effect on the market. We think we do. We think that regulatory framework, which lays right on top of the traditional asset regulatory framework, provides clarity and provides a framework that is not overly heavy-handed so that innovation can continue to occur in the United States. We also think we've made it pretty clear about the attributes of different either investment contracts or digital assets, cryptocurrencies, and how they would fall as between the CFTC and the SEC as a a regulatory responsible agency. So, and, you know, as other things happen in the coming weeks, we can view them through the lens of our bill Mm -hmm. uh, and see if we think we've covered some of the early hiccups in the digital asset business and uh, reevaluate situations where we think a more robust regulatory framework is necessary than the one we've already crafted. We've wanted to take a, a light touch to disclosure, at least initially with the many cryptocurrencies. As you know, there are over 15,000 of them, uh, which means in terms of analyzing disclosure, it's it's a lot to analyze. It's a lot to disclose and it's a lot for consumers to absorb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we think that if we can have a reasonably balanced but light touch 
uh, disclosure that provides for consumer protection, that that's the way we would like to frame the bill. Okay. And then I want to get back to the part about the CFTC and the SEC, who's going to regulate what. There has been some pushback. SEC Chair Gary Gensler was quoted the other day at an event saying that he doesn't particularly agree with the fact that the SEC would lose some oversight through your bill. Do you have any thoughts on that? Why do you think it's that the SEC shouldn't be regulating or overseeing as much as they have been? Well, I think that the bill is so consistent with current definitions for what is a commodity and what is a security that I really don't think that the SEC is going to lose regulatory control. I think they'll retain it when there are investment contracts I think you'll have situations under our definitions of ancillary assets that you'll have a digital asset, say Bitcoin, that is the underlying asset that is regulated by the CFTC, but the investment contract in which it is contained is itself regulated by the SEC. So that's almost a situation where both regulators are involved. Once again, depending on the structure of the investment instrument, it will be, could be joint, could be just the SEC, quite frankly, or it could be a combination of the CFTC and the SEC. Because Bitcoin and Ethereum are the two big players, are over 60% of the market cap of uh, cryptocurrencies, and, and they are both likely to end up at the CFTC. The CFTC will need additional resources because they'll be looking at both the spot and the futures market for all of these cryptocurrencies. So they'll they'll need additional personnel. But in terms of the volume and the disclosures and the consumer protection provisions that are really handled well by the SEC, when they're being responsive, that is, it, it's it's still going to be a huge regulatory response that the SEC will be responsible for. And Senator, just to play off that, what do you make of Gary Gensler at the SEC in general? And I don't mean that to be a loaded question, but what's been interesting to me, of course, is when he was first named, I think a lot of people in the crypto industry maybe wrongly celebrated because they said, well, here's someone who taught a course about blockchain at MIT, so he must be pro-crypto. And that hasn't necessarily been the case so far. But, but of course, as I often tell people too, you know, putting in more regulations is not the same as trying to shut it down. I think there's a misconception among crypto and Web3 folks that even the word regulation is this boogeyman and, and regulation bad. Well, I stay in touch with Chairman Gensler. I think that uh, he is very knowledgeable in this area. He hasn't read our bill yet, but he has it now. He will go through it and give it his feedback, I hope, and I'm looking forward to hearing it. I think he's dedicated to consumer protection, and so are we. So I, I, the jury's still out on how he will eventually come down on this bill once he does a really deep dive in the bill. I supported his nomination to the SEC for the very reasons you described, Dan. He is knowledgeable. And I think he will end up being someone that the industry can work with. Now, I know early on there are a lot of concerns, and I heard a lot of concerns 
about the SEC when I was uh, last week in Austin and at Consensus 22. So I know that there's a lot of concerns specifically about regulation by enforcement action. So if you're, you know, you're walking around in the dark in a in terms of regulation and your first bump into a regulatory agency is to be slapped with an enforcement action, you know, it, it's it's like stubbing the toe, your toe really badly in the middle of the night or maybe breaking your toe in the middle of the night. So it, it leaves a bitter taste in people's mouths. So I, I think that we need to give Chairman Gensler a chance to really dive into this bill and uh, see if his comfort level with it improves. I think that it's important that people get a response you know, the government's supposed to be here to serve the people. And if you submit applications and documentation to federal agencies requesting that you comply with regulation and that they provide you with the necessary permitting to operate, that that's the way regulation is supposed to work. But if you submit all the paperwork, do everything you think is right, and you hear nothing, you hear crickets, that's when people get frustrated. That's right. when people get angry. These regulators need to look at these applications and tell people where their application is deficient or we're going to approve it or we're going to deny it. So then the uh, person applying can go to the next step, an appeal or something. But this this do-nothing crickets response is what really has people in the industry frustrated. And it's not just the cryptocurrency industry, by the way, although I got near full of that when I was in Austin over the weekend. I want to focus a little bit more on Congress for a moment. It has seemed, and I don't know if you could have planned this, but you know, Republicans have become the party that's friendly to crypto. And it's very much not the case on the other side of the aisle. It's very few or seldom that you'll find a voice on the other side of the aisle that is supportive or even friendly to crypto. So uh, what do you think of that? How did that happen? You know, are, are you making efforts to try to, you know, bridge that gap? Well, Senator Gillibrand has been a real breath of fresh air. She's a big advocate uh, for this regulatory framework. She's using her representation of the state of New York to get all over New York and meet with people in the financial services industry, including cryptocurrency industry, to shape this legislation, to understand what concerns are. You know, New York is the financial capital of the world, and Wyoming was very early to adapt and adopt legislation for uh, accommodating uh, a digital asset industry. So our states are by nature inclined to gravitate towards these businesses, but to have Senator Gillibrand involved in this. And she took a deep dive. She's very knowledgeable. She was a securities lawyer for 12 or 13 years in New York. You know, she knows this stuff. And she's been very good about engaging with her Democrat colleagues in the U.S. Senate and in the House. For example, Ro Khanna is doing a great 
job, a, a, a Democrat who understands and is uh, very favorably inclined towards this industry. So there are Democrats that are becoming more knowledgeable. The good news is also that there are people that are uh, very progressive that are beginning to educate and reach out to Democrat members of the House and Senate and help them understand what a benefit this is to unbanked communities, to people who have uh, been left out of the traditional banking system, how digital assets are less expensive and faster in terms of their settlement. And when they hear the advocates that are able to make the case uh, for digital assets from the liberal or progressive perspective, it makes a huge difference. And, and both Senator Gillibrand and I are very committed to having those discussions uh, with members of both parties. So the comfort level of both parties uh, is high and the knowledge in both parties is high. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's interesting, though, working with someone from New York specifically, because it seems to me that when it comes to issues that have been state by state, New York has in some ways been the harshest on on this stuff, not just on crypto. I mean, years ago, I covered sports business and sports betting. And, you know, it was the New York AG that really went after those fantasy sports companies that, of course, now that, you know, sports betting, the, the federal ban was struck down, they're all off to the races. But point being, you know, it's New York that, that, as you know, is working on this Bitcoin mining ban, or at least Bitcoin mining that uses carbon energy. Talk to us a little bit about how Wyoming became the crypto-friendly state. I mean, in contrast to some of these other states, it's the Dow state. You know, we've we've talked a lot with Caitlin Long, obviously, and what she's been up to. But where did that really start, and uh, how much progress you think has been made for for Wyoming with its crypto rep? It has been an innovator in business organizations. For example, Wyoming was the state that created the LLC, the Limited Liability Company. And then when the IRS authorized it as a legitimate pass-through entity, every state adopted it. We're now finding other states following us with regard to our SBDI bill, our Special Purpose Depository Institutions bill. We, we just tend to in a, innovate in spaces like this. The other thing is... Because of the terminology of digital assets, the notion of mining, there's there's a comfortable analogy with my state. We have a miner on our state seal. We are a huge net energy exporter. In fact, 
the largest exporting state for energy in the nation. Now, Texas and North Dakota produce more energy, but they also consume more in state. Our small, small population and our abundance of energy means we export a lot. So the concepts of mining are just ingrained in us, and it's something that we find very comfortable rather than foreign. For example, we're seeing Bitcoin mining equipment being brought to the site of flared gas operation and then hooking up the mining equipment to uh, the flared gas and mining with it. So you're taking an asset that's literally being wasted into the atmosphere and you're hooking up and producing something of value producing Bitcoin right on the site of this oil and gas drilling operation. So these are the kind of things that Wyoming's used to innovating about. They're comfortable innovating about them. And so in in some ways, I know it seems like an illogical match to most people, but when you think about the terminology of mining, it, it just came very natural to our state. Now, New York, which tends to be a state that is really bought into the ESG provisions, the notion that hydrocarbons are a negative, I can see why they look at that same terminology as a negative. So I think in some ways, both states are playing out their natural roles. That's that's pretty funny. That's It's fitting. I, I wanted to kind of rewind and take a look a little bit at your personal crypto journey. You know, you what made you decide to come out and be the, the Bitcoin senator and the person who was going to talk about this? Because that then makes you the target for, you know, every time something goes wrong in the market, people want to talk to you about it, you know, and they want to know what's going on with this thing that you are, you know, vouching for. I didn't necessarily come to the Senate with the idea of, establishing myself and my office as the go-to office on all things digital assets. But we did come with a wealth of knowledge. The legislator from Wyoming who carried all of the cryptocurrency legislation, Tyler Lindholm, is part of our office. He does in-state policy, but he travels all over the country Uh, talking about our legislation, our approach to regulation, and digital assets, simply because he's just super knowledgeable. And then the lawyer who worked with him at the Wyoming legislature's legislative service office, and who later was working at the banking division in Wyoming when the rules were crafted to implement the legislation, is also on our team. His name is Chris Land. And between Tyler and Chris, they are among the most knowledgeable and creative, thoughtful people in the business. So they're both here on our staff. I continued to advocate for the importance of this growing and emerging industry around the Senate, and then made myself kind of a go-to person in this space. And then we had the depth of knowledge in the office to back it up. We just kind of became the the go-to office on this subject. And so we do find that when there are questions that arise 
we're one of the offices people come to. So we try to stay ahead of what's happening that's affecting these markets so we can be responsive. For example, when Russia invaded Ukraine, there were concerns that sanctions would be avoided by using Bitcoin or other digital assets. We were able to point out how difficult it is by bringing in companies like Chainalysis to help senators understand that the FBI and others, uh, given a choice, would rather investigate a crime committed in Bitcoin than they would fiat currency. We found out that when the Ukrainians needed money for medicine, for supplies, for uh, fuel, for ammunition, that they could get it overnight as long as it was sent in Bitcoin because it's faster and cheaper. And if the donations were sent in fiat currency, it took a very long time for those transactions to settle. So by being able to point these things out, and to introduce other senators to how uh, this industry is positioned to be somewhat self-policing. We've met accounting firms that are able to monitor literally every five or 10 minutes accounts that are used to provide that 100% asset-backed stablecoin, for example. So the, the backroom support industries are in place to help self-regulate and self-police this industry. And and we're fortunate in that we know that and we know how to point those people to committees that want to have hearings. And so we're sort of a a connector (laughs) between Mm -hmm. uh, different committees when they have questions about this industry. And we can hopefully connect the experts in the industry with the committees and individuals in the Senate who are making those inquiries. That's, you know, that's very interesting about the education aspect. We, we had Andrew Yang on this podcast weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he was basically saying, I mean, one issue in DC is how many people, how many elected officials have a crypto wallet? I mean, very, very, very few, right? So very few. Do you take it on yourself to also be kind of informing your your colleagues and your peers about this stuff? I mean, what, what's going to change around the attitudes from those who do clearly think crypto, as you said, it's used for crime or it's used for sanctions? Yeah. What might change the narrative? Education is, I would say, the largest part of our role here. Last year, we began educating early on because it was apparent there was very little knowledge or understanding of these issues. So Senator Kirsten Cinema and I created the Financial Innovation Caucus. We have get-togethers on Mondays for staff uh, so they can learn different aspects of this industry. We've had dinners with members of the U.S. Senate and various leaders in the cryptocurrency industry so they can sit down with very knowledgeable people and ask any question they want in a in a dinner setting that's very casual and we continue to have these ongoing sessions to get people comfortable we also go to their offices and have just private sit downs with members of the US Senate in both parties Uh, to help people understand 
the industry and uh, legislation and where we think that legislation can be helpful to this industry. So it is, it's a huge part of it. We have a library here in my office that is just loaded with books on cryptocurrency. And I frequently will hand people books, hey, read this one, read that one before they leave. So yeah, we're sort of a, a library, a mini library of Congress here in the the Lama Senate office on all things digital assets. So I, I did want to ask, you know, are there projects and companies that, you know, are your favorites or that you you really admire in the industry? You know, you talked about spending a lot of time educating all of your colleagues in DC, but looking out in the industry, you know, who who do you think is doing a good job? Who makes you want to really fight for this industry? Well, one of the new people that I met very recently that I was really impressed with is Jack Mallers. Jack has taken the Lightning Network, which didn't exist, uh, which hadn't been perfected when I first came to the U.S. Senate, but during the last calendar year, 2021, the Lightning Network became more uh, usable. And so Jack Mallers has taken the technology that would allow you to go to, say, Whole Foods, because I think he has a contract with Amazon and with Whole Foods, and use your traditional credit card. But then behind the scenes, that transaction converts to Bitcoin and then is paid in Bitcoin to Whole Foods, and then they can convert it back into fiat currency if they want. So it makes it much faster and cheaper to settle that transaction. So the uh, the payee, in this case, in my uh, my example, Whole Foods, gets its money sooner. And, you know, there's a lot of reference to friction in the industry in terms of financial transactions. Well, that friction or that slowdown that makes it take it so long to settle provides other people the opportunity to use that money overnight. Well, that's not their money, but they're making money on other people's money and not really adding any value to the transaction. So people like Jack Mallers have figured out how to get that money more quickly from the payor to the payee, thereby making the payee whole faster. And so I think Jack Mallers' technology is impressive and he's just kind of the perfect example of why uh, digital assets are here to stay. If you can transact business faster and cheaper, it, it makes a world of difference because the financial services industry is about 7.5% of U.S. GDP. That is huge. That's a big expense for people. So if you're an individual who's either lower middle income or a, a working poor person, You don't have money to spare to allow a bank to make money off of you. And so if you can cut out those middlemen and make it faster and more efficient, cheaper for the underbanked and the unbanked, it's a game changer, a total game changer. Look, for example, at somebody who is here from El Salvador. He's working His mother is back in El Salvador. He can pick up his iPhone, send her remittances. She can get them on her phone and she's ready to go buy groceries in El Salvador on that very same day. 
She doesn't have to go to Western Union and risk uh, getting robbed. She doesn't have to pay big Western Union fees to get that transaction. So for her, it's a game changer too, for that family that's so dependent on those remittances. For people in countries with corrupt governments, for people in Venezuela, it's an opportunity to decouple themselves from a corrupt government economy. Uh, For people in Lebanon who are experiencing hyperinflation, it's an opportunity to decouple from that extreme hyperinflation. The list goes on and on. So I, I think going back to Jack Mallers, I think he's one of those young people that Uh, And he's just a nifty person. Uh, And I look at those, you know, I think about what I was doing when I was 24 years old. And then I look at Jack and think, wow, I was a real underachiever. (laughs) Utility. I'd like to see that happen. The utility, the payments aspect. Uh, Senator, as we wrap up here, and, you know, we really appreciate your time. There is one last question or one topic that we haven't hit at all. You know, we've talked about the coins and regulation and the bills and politics, but it's something that keeps coming up with certain other guests. And I have to ask, do you own any NFTs? And what do you make of the NFT boom within the larger crypto industry? Yeah, I don't own any NFTs. And NFTs are are among the mysteries to me. But I'm learning about this from Senator Gillibrand because she has children who have NFTs and she's the one who is teaching me about how they are used. And so uh, it's a good thing that I have such a, a knowledgeable partner in this who has children who are, who are using NFTs and, uh, it, it fills, helps enrich and fill out my own dance card when it comes to learning about it. And of course, the Dow's bill first passed in Wyoming. And so uh, I'm also learning about uh, the utility of the business entity known as a Dow in this industry as well. So my own knowledge journey is I learn stuff every day. And for somebody my age to get to work in an area where literally you're learning new things every single day is so, so exciting. And so it's been a great shot in the arm for me in terms of my enthusiasm about how to legislate in a brand new area that that really needs a clear and appropriate level of regulation, but can still innovate. That's the goal of the bill, and it's been fun to work on it. It's been fun to roll it out, and it will continue to be something to which I apply a great deal of my time and attention. That's great. And uh, learning new things is what we're all about at Decrypt. I hope our listeners learn new things from this episode with you. So thanks so much for joining us, Senator. Thank you. It was great to be with you. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And I'm Stephen Graves. GM is a Decrypt podcast produced by Red Rock Music. Our executive producer is Red Yoakum. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. And our audio engineer is Enrique Inahosa. For more from Decrypt, go to decrypt.co or download our mobile app. Subscribe and review us wherever you listen, and we'll meet you back here next time for more crypto conversation. GM. GM.